Our scripture today comes from some selections from Genesis 18 and 21. Hear now these words. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat down at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, my Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servants. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servants. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of choice flour. Knead it and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, where is your wife, Sarah? And he said, there, in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife, Sarah, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age, and it had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I be fruitful? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time, I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, yeah, you did laugh. The Lord dealt with Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to his son whom Sarah bore him. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Now Sarah said, God has brought laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, who would ever have thought that Abraham and Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. A word of God that is still speaking. Thanks be to God. Amen. Join me in an attitude of prayer. Gracious and holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It is good to be back with you all this morning after being at annual conference last week. Um, I'm grateful to be here as a newly ordained elder in the United Methodist Church, and I want to thank you all for your support in that process. There were times where I had to be away. There are many cohort overnights and frankly many cohort Zoom calls that lasted hours. And there was a lot of time writing and praying. And so thank you. Thank you for letting me be away 
um, to help fulfill my call so that I can, I can help do my part here in this space. We also got to celebrate our graduates this morning. It's Pride Month, which is a celebration for queer folks that promotes the opposite of shame, pride, and we get to kick off a new series here at Chapel Hill. Whew. I'm sure that's high up on the list for a lot of you. <laughs> So we're going to enter this interesting time in the church calendar we call Ordinary Time. It's kind of a funny name, but it's not Advent, it's not Christmas, it's not Lent, it's not Easter, it's not Pentecost, so it's kind of ordinary. We call it Ordinary Time. And so for this series, um, we're partnering with Sanctified Art. They produce these beautiful series and they really do a lot around visual art curation. They have a series called Anything But Ordinary during Ordinary Time. Get it? Get it? Oh. <laughs> we get to dive into the stories of the Abrahamic family tree starting in Genesis, and we're going to mosey on our way through some of those. I wanted to let you know in the back on your way out, if you wanted to, we have a little study journal, and the study journal has some of the art. It has some prompts throughout the week. Some of you might help th find this helpful. There are also digital versions available online, but if you wanted to, you can snag one of those on your way out, and it might help you focus through this series. <sighs> Today, what I really get to talk about is something I love, um, talking about the nature of story and what stories do for us. Because with the stories we're going to cover, some of us might know them really, really well. Others of us might not know them at all. Some of us learned them when we were children, when we kind of had to talk about the stories in a different way, um, a more simplified way. So some of us have learned these without any of the nuance they really have and hold for us. Some of us learned about these stories um, in faith traditions that have a different understanding of scripture than we do. So we're coming to this space and this time here at Chapel Hill with, uh, with some baggage around some of these stories, if we know about them at all. They're so good though. Y'all, these stories are so good. They have all different kinds of wisdom. There are different interpretations. They are juicy. There's drama, they are wonderful stories, and they are parts of our faith tradition. And so today, we're gonna start at the beginning of Abraham, the beginning of our series, um, but we're not actually starting in the beginning, beginning. We're in Genesis 18. So I wanna just do a little bit of catch up with where we are, because a lot happens from Genesis 1 to Genesis 18. <laughs> There's a lot there. We have our two creation stories. Remember, there are two of them. There's the seven-day one, and then there's the Adam and Eve one. And then we go to Cain and Abel. From Cain and Abel, we get descendants, descendants, descendants. Then we go to Noah. We get Noah's whole story. We have more descendants, descendants, right? We have the Tower of Babel. And then we find ourselves in Abram's story. We start off with Abram, and we really start when he... Um, was promised to be made a great nation from God. God says, I'm gonna make a great nation of you. And then he passes through Egypt and he tricks Pharaoh. That saves his life. And then um, Lot, Lot is his nephew. They're big farmers 
They get into these skirmishes, they have to defend each other, and they fight with one another, and eventually they split ways, and Abram goes into the desert. Then, this gets really, this is soap operatic. I don't know if that's even a word. <laughs> Sarai, Abram's wife, tells Abram to sleep with her slave Hagar so he can have an heir, and then Sarai gets really jealous and angry and mistreats Hagar, and we're gonna get into all of that later because that is a juicy story that needs some unpacking. But today, we're right after God remakes this covenant with Abram, stating that Abram will be the father of nations, right? And part of that covenant is circumcision. That's why it's called back in our passage where he circumcises Isaac. It's this really interesting etiological tale regarding that practice and promise and covenant. And God changes Abram's name to Abraham. So Abram, in Hebrew is a compound word. It means exalted father, which that's kind of a painful name for him, right? Because he doesn't have any legitimate children. That's how they would have understood it. But God changes his name to Abraham, which is a phrase meaning something like, because I give you as a father of multitude of nations, right? So Abraham's probably a better name than that sentence. <laughs> but that's really what it means. And Sarai's name is changed also. It follows suit. Hers is a little bit different because Sarah and Sarai both mean the same thing. Woman of strength, princess. But Sarai actually means something more like my Sarah. My Sarah. So changing her name to Sarah really gives her her own identity and lets her step into her role as a mother of the multitude of nations. So one thing I think is important, this is like a little mental side note, journey with me on the side note. At any time, but especially during Pride Month, in our faith story, from the very beginning, people changed their names to match their identity. And God blessed it, and God did it, and said that it was good, right? So that happens within our faith story and tradition, and it's important for us just to take note of that. All right, we're detouring back in, with me, okay. So after those name changes, we're in our story for today. You'll notice I say story often. Sometimes folks will consider that a bit pejorative, especially if you come from a faith tradition that views scripture a little bit differently than I do, than a lot of us do. For us here, we understand especially these beginnings in Genesis and Exodus as stories that are important, that are rich, that are inspired by the Holy Spirit, but stories. And the Israelites and Jews, frankly, have a much better grasp on what they mean for us because they are part of ancient epic literature and they understand them in that way. They are not meant to be a Wikipedia article. They are not meant to recount facts. They are meant to recount capital T truth. Truth. There's no actual evidence Abram and Sarai lived. We have no actual evidence of Moses. Evidence is not the point. We are weaving together narrative and origin, who God is and who we are. Right? That's the point of these early cosmologies, how we came to be together. So I want you to join me in that approach, even if it feels a bit unfamiliar for you. Because today, my main focus is to help us understand and frame these scripture stories. Not only is that the approach that scholars tell us is probably best practice with our scriptural texts, 
but it's also closer to what the first hearers actually understood. And it's a way to help us undo some of the harm that has been done by these stories. Ours for today, for example, right, if you understood Hebrew, if you were one of the first hearers, you would have known the name Abram means exalted father, right? These names come from compound words. For us, thousands of years later, they're just names, right? Like many of our names today, they actually are from ancient thousands of years ago. We don't really know what they mean. But folks who understood Hebrew would have known that means exalted father. They would know strong woman, right, Sarai. They would have known what those mean. Because this is like a story, it's important to keep that in mind. Um, have any of you ever read the book, Little Bear's Little Boat? Just me? You don't need to have read it to understand. If you hear the title, Little Bear's Little Boat, you understand that there's going to be a little bear and a little boat. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that's not the point of the plot. So when people heard Abram to Abraham, they knew that parentage was going to be part of it, but that perhaps that wasn't the points of the story. They understood that a parent was going to be part of it, right? Little bear, there's going to be a little bear in there. That might not be the point. That's important. It's important for us to understand that and keep that in mind. Also, stories are often simplified, starting from somewhere, some truth. Right? And, and then we embellish it, and we pass those stories on, and they're important, and they're full of lore, and they communicate who we are and our values. And this story has consistently been interpreted in a way that harms people, and I think misses the whole point of the story. This is so often preached to women who are waiting to conceive. And it is tied to if you are faithful and patient, God can surprise you with a baby when you least expect it. You just have to relax and laugh like Sarah. You'll be pregnant in no time. God's timing is not our timing, et cetera, et cetera. Right? That, that is a harmful interpretation in many instances. And I want to say this because for some of us, that might have given us comfort. That might have happened. I don't want to take that away from you. I'm merely suggesting that's probably... Um, that's definitely not the only way to interpret the story, and it's likely not the intended way to interpret the story, and I don't think it's the best way to interpret the story. So again, if that has meant something to you, if that interpretation means something to you, keep it. Hold on to it. I simply want to let you know that's not the only one, and that way can be harmful for people. And if those words have been used against you and have caused harm, I'm sorry. And if you offered those words to someone because it was the only tale and the only way you thought you could come for them, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Right? We have to do a little work with these stories because this story isn't even really about parentage or pregnancy, right? Like little bears, little boat. It's not the point. And so we kind of have to reckon with that and grapple with that and hold that together. These stories have multiple meanings and sometimes we miss the point. I really think the story is about hospitality and being willing to dream with God. In the ancient Near East, people were often threats. Land was being renegotiated between families and cultures through marriages and trades, but there were constant militaristic threats. Abraham really starts this beautiful understanding that permeates Israelite and later Jewish culture with the understanding of hospitality. There are these three men that go by, and 
we are to understand they are somehow adjacent to the Lord, but not exactly the Lord. We're never really clear what that relationship is because it kind of bounces back and forth between the men and the Lord. But somehow we know they're entangled with God and not entirely earthly. And Abraham really goes out of his way to volunteer his wife and servants <laughs> to make sure these folks are fed. Right? And we know that's in keeping with the times. We understand that. These men asked to see Sarah. How do they know her? How do they know her? We don't know. Right? They're somehow other, otherworldly in some way. They tell her she'll have a baby. This seems improbable, and she laughs. And eventually that prediction comes true, and she names the baby Isaac. Isaac means laughter. It's really a beautiful name. There's some joy in this. Again, I'm going back to Little Bear's Little Boat. Right? We know that the size is going to be in the story, but it's not the point of the story. It's, that's the device, right? That's the device for which us to understand who God is to us and who we are. So for me, there are two kind of related points, right? The moral of the story. This is what I take from this story. You might take something else. And that is welcome and that is wonderful. I want to share with you what I'm taking from the story. Offering hospitality is not a thing we do. It is the people we are, right? Offering hospitality is not a to-do. We are called to make it our way of being. That's hard. That is really hard. Because we live in a culture where hospitality, in this sense, is not easy. We are private and individual. Like, I don't, I don't want to be sold a vacuum at my home. I want to be in my jammies, you know? <laughs> don't, don't, don't sell me a vacuum at my door. That's not really what we're talking about when we talk about hospitality. We understand that we like our comfort, right? We like our home and we like our spaces. And we don't often have servants waiting in the wings to slaughter a calf for us. <laughs> we can also be very suspicious of one another, and sometimes we have reason to be. That's hard. So the thing I really take from this about hospitality being a way of being is that we understand hospitality to be a thing we do and very conditional. Right? It is based on the other person. Do you look like someone I should be hospitable to? Do we think alike? Does the bumper sticker on your car offend me? Are you someone that we have enough through line with that I should be hospitable to who you are? And we think about it in that sense. And hospitality is more so about a core value that we hold. Right? I'm, I'm gonna be hospitable because it's who I am. It's not based on who you are. I'm gonna be kind because it's my value and it's who I am. Your actions do not get to define whether or not I am kind or hospitable, right? And that's not to say we don't have boundaries around that. It's not saying be a doormat. It's not saying, hey, I'm gonna have my wife make you a bunch of bread. <laughs> that's probably not ultimately hospitality, but the willingness to give energy and be present in a space. Um, I was reading part of a, of a book around this that I thought was really interesting. It's called Platonic, How the Science of Attachment Can Help You Make and Keep Friends by Dr. Marissa G. Franco. And she talks about boundaries and community with a simple reframing, particularly around how we do hospitality. Because in our culture, we come to things as all or nothing. We're like, we're gonna do all of it, we're going for it, or nothing at all. I think we see this a lot in how we respond to disasters. When there's an initial disaster, we will send all sorts of stuff. We will give you every water bottle we have. 
But when it comes to rebuilding infrastructure, we're like, oh, no, sorry, I can't do that. We kind of have that mentality within our social groups as well. If there's a communal call for help, we're like, I don't have capacity to do that. I wish I, I, wish I did, but I can't. So I'm just going to stay silent. I'm not going to reach out, and I'm not going to say anything. Dr. Franco talks about, hey, how can we acknowledge where we're at and reframe that boundary a little differently, stating, hey, I am kind of zapped. I have low capacity. What can I offer? What energy can I offer? What can I do? Knowing that sometimes it's going to be not much. Sometimes that might just be reaching out via text. Sometimes it's like, hey, in a week or two, can I make a meal for you? Right? But just that simple reframing of, oh, my God, I can't. I can't at all. But what can I do in this particular moment? That might help us build hospitality as a feature of who we are rather than just a thing we do. I think the second beautiful illustration for the story for this morning is what we can dream of with God. Sarah laughs at this ridiculous possibility she'll have a child, it's impossible. And yet our entire story throughout scripture is God doing things through regular people that seem impossible. I love the joy in this story, right? If you kind of understand it in that sense, you get that it's meant to be more of a fable. Because she names the baby Isaac, it means laughter. There's, it's wonderful. This is a really beautiful story, and it makes me think about the things we snicker at and we laugh at with God because we think they're impossible. And I preached about this a few months back after Easter. But friends, as people of faith, part of our story is believing the impossible is possible, even if we have to do it with a chuckle, even with a laugh, because God works through us. Right? God does not supernaturally, like, whoo, if, if we want to do something meaningful about gun violence in our community, we have to believe it's possible. Even, even if we think it's improbable, even if we have to snicker at the thought, we have to believe it's possible. If we want to end racism, if we want bellies to be hungry in our communities and in our world, we have to believe those things are possible. And I think the point of the story is about those kind of dreams, those kind of dreams. What can we do if we understand that God uses ordinary people like us to do these things, these stories that are anything but ordinary? And Sarah and Abraham teach us that when we welcome others, when we host them and their ideas, we learn about the impossible possibilities God is dreaming up for us. And I think about that with the grads that we celebrated today in transition, right? Because I bet some people laughed at some of their dreams. We've all had that experience when someone kind of snickers at what you think is possible. But we need them to put them out there. We need them to have laughable dreams because we need them to be audacious in their faith. Right? And we can learn from them in that sense. We might be able to welcome them and even let ourselves dream those impossible dreams right here in this space. Amen. Well, welcome to this podcast of our new series, Anything But Ordinary. Anything But Ordinary. You looked at me for a moment like we should have said it together. I'll try it again. Yeah. Anything Anything But but Ordinary. ordinary. Much better. Yes. (laughs) It's a little bit of a play on words um, because we're doing it during ordinary time. And Sanctified Art puts out this series. 
And I really like their resources because they care so much about the visual art and helping people reflect in all sorts of ways. Um, They don't put together scripts for services. They don't really put together a ton of preaching notes. So there's a lot of freedom to address the issues our community has or that might come up from the text, but a lot of resources to help supplement that conversation. Cool. Yeah, so ordinary time is kind of, Pentecost goes on forever, right? It does, yeah. And so it feels like ordinary, so it just became ordinary time. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the, the whole Pentecost fire thing wears off after a bit, so, you know, <laughs> fire, it, become, it becomes ordinary. Burned out, yeah. It's a burned out. Yeah. And uh, the thought is going through, um, really, the Abrahamic family tree and some of the stories we might have heard as kiddos um, that are worth our revisiting because they are our stories. Yeah, one of the things I think is is important for us to keep kind of touching back to is that these are these are not just our stories as Christians, but they they had their roots in the Judaic Bible, and they're mm-hmm. also in the Quran as part of the uh, part of the stories of the um, the Islamic community. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there we are joined as people of Abraham, children of Abraham. Abraham. So we'll be covering this for twelve weeks. <sighs> And we are excited. You're along for the ride with us. Hang on. Hang on. So this week you started off with beginnings. Mm-hmm. And I felt like you did a, a lot of um, kind of establishing those beginnings, not just for the Abrahamic tradition, but for our, our journey through these through these weeks. Yeah. Um, kind of bottom line, what you were hoping people would, would receive. Yes, I think bottom line was to frame these texts as uh, as epic literature, right? So that we can really start to dig into them and pull them apart while while putting them um, in their contextual place. We we have a lot of folks joining us, and a lot of folks who are who have been raised Methodist, but are doing some deconstructing. And so part of that process is um, deconstructing what we were, what we were taught about these stories and hopefully doing some reconstructing together. So I really wanted to set it up as, Hey, these actually are stories. And that does not, um, that doesn't take away from their value. In fact, for me, it really enhances it, frankly. Yeah. So I think, as I was thinking about um, this yesterday as you were preaching and, and as I re-listened um, this morning, uh, it struck me that that we're dealing with two realities. One is that we've been taught these things in church, in our faith traditions, ways that are not all that helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're also framed in a cultural yes. misunderstanding of story, myth, uh, because we tend to put those things as something contrary or less important yes. uh, than than fact or news or mm-hmm. things that we think we can we can all agree on, uh, which is never the case, mm-hmm. right? Um, so where, whereas in in our faith traditions uh, and in really as we go back culturally, the greatest truth is told in story, mm-hmm. uh, in the myth of the people. Right, so that so that the facts of the story are far less important than the point of the story, as you were as you were going to in your in your sermon yesterday. Yeah, and I think we 
somewhere along the line as a as a culture as a society really decided we care a lot about fact (laughs) and we value that more highly but i i don't think that was ultimately a beneficial move if you look at where we're at now where we're disputing what facts even are (laughs) right and so 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 given the fact we can't trust facts Uh (laughs) given the fact we can't trust fact and we can't trust story it's like what are we left with um and and that's a that's a and I, frankly, I think that's some of what people are, as much as we've lost a lot of folks to to faith generally, or at least organized faith generally, I think people are coming back because there's, like, what what do you what do you hold to? What do you believe in? What is uh, what is true for you? Yeah. Um, and I think this ser- this series is going to help help unpack some of that for us. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um. I made notes. Whoa! <laughs> um, you you took uh, you took the beginning part of your message to kind of talk about the and really apologize for the ways in which the text has been used uh, to bring to bring harm to people, pain into people's lives, uh, either out of their own barrenness or as um, something that we use to talk with people about their barrenness and because we don't feel like we have a better story. Yeah. And you kind of did apology on both of those counts. Uh-huh. Um, did you get any feedback around that? No. I didn't get any individual feedback, uh, but I saw, I saw people that that clearly impacted. Um and part of it was because, like, yesterday, I think, was also an ordination celebration yeah, with my face Yeah, there was, a, there was a lot. <laughs> so I don't know that people wanted to come and be like, hey, you know. So I got some individual feedback, not on that particular um, piece, but I, I looked out and I saw faces and I knew um, that it's not just me who had felt like, ooh, this is icky. I don't like how this has been used. And I, that's not always, but often the case. Um, so I, I saw the feedback I thought that... Ma- it was clear that it resonated with some folks. Yeah, and, I, and we're certainly not done with it. I mean, these texts are largely stories of descendants, as you as you pointed out, it's generational stuff. And there'll be lots of stories about how birth takes place and how it yeah. doesn't take place, and and um, what is what is the will of God in the mm-hmm. midst of of pregnancy, and and yeah, there's a, there's a lot of harm that's been done to folks, mm-hmm. um, a lot of guilt generated. So yeah, so I appreciated that that opening. Um, then you talked about story, and um, <laughs> so as you think about story, what's the power of it for you? The the big bear, what was it? The bears and little boats. <laughs> little bears, <laughs> little, and little bears, boats. little boat. Um, yeah, I thought that was a helpful device because particularly about the story, it helped, it helped us, hopefully I explained it well enough so that it, uh, it resonated such that the pregnancy wasn't the big point, right? Um, we knew that was going to happen because of the names, but in in terms of the power of story generally, um, I, I, I know I'm not alone in that I have, I have learned so much wisdom through story and I we talk about this like with the confirmands um, where if you were to read you know Robert Frost poems right does it does it matter to you if he describes more about the two roads that diverged and like what does it matter to you if he really took the one less traveled you know is that ultimately important does that change how you understand the story no 
Um, I think about, you know, songs are stories. Absolutely. And I have, you know, there, I've had songs that I've had such an emotive response to, and I've learned such deep wisdom about who I am and who we are together. And I don't, I don't know what story that song was based on. The song itself was a story, you know, so it, I think it, there's a way in which we can communicate value and wisdom through story um, that fact doesn't really compute with, if that makes sense. Yes. Did you want? What you doing? (laughs) We're in the middle of recording. Hey, we have a guest. We have a guest in our podcast. Caleb Williams has stepped into the room. (laughs) This is what happens if you are live casting. Are you? No. Okay. No. We are. (laughs) We're gonna start now. Pull up a microphone. Well, I would, I'm curious. <laughs> We've kind of lost the flow, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you didn't, you asked me the question, but you didn't answer it yourself. What power does story have for you? Yeah, but story operates at so many different levels. I mean, we talk about um, frequently, that this is not my story to tell. When we're talking about somebody else's life experience, it's not my story to tell. Um, and yet it's my, I, you can tell me a story and it's yours when you tell it, but as soon as I hear it, I respond to it f- with the pieces that are, that resonate with my story. Mm. And that's what story does. Um, so we can, we can hear the story of Abraham and Sarah mm-hmm. and say, that's not my story. But on the other hand, there are pieces of that that we resonate with, uh, how, how God appears to us, uh, what hospitality looks like, when am, I, when am I engaged in hospitality, when am I not, what are the boundaries that I set, and that's what you go into later in the, in the, in the sermon. Um, but for me, the power of story um, is in, uh, you were talking about Robert Frost, the power of story is that it leaves me space at the two roads and I get to I get to complete the story hmm. right I don't need to get a book that's a complete the story book yeah I, I get to complete the story and place myself into the context of that story yeah I think too um, helping helping our congregation and by and large I think a lot of folks have have been engaging with scripture in this particular way for a while sure. here at Chapel Hill um, for some folks that's newer but helping, um, helping people of faith generally understand that these are stories um, helps provide so, so much more in the meaning-making department. <laughs> you know, if we were just to read that and be like, here's a series of facts about how this came to be, like, okay, great. You know, it's important to right. know our, our quote-unquote faith lineage. And um, if we're really thinking through what is the, you know, what is the story of God's people and how do we respond to God and how does God interact with us? There's just so much more there. Yeah. Why was it told then? You know, all of these origin stories are critically important in understanding the, our own lineage. Right. And so then we get to ask, what is What difference does this make to us today? Why do we keep telling it? Mm -hmm. Um, And if we, if we limit that to God said it, I believe it. And that settles it as though it is, it's a flat document that there's no 
there's no life there, that there's no spirit uh, emerging out of that story, we do a great disservice to the text. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think I think this is appropriate reading of scripture, and 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 our ancestors always felt that way. So it's a, this this flat reading of scripture, or this what gets called literal reading of tri- of, of scripture. Th- those were air quotes. Those of you who yeah. are, who are out there without visuals, um, you know that flat reading of scripture does is is a relatively new yes uh, evolution, and yeah. uh, and I think we do well as progressive Christians not to not to buy into that. Absolutely. There is, um, there is one thing that I, I don't know that I've defined or spent a lot of time on, but you, you and I will use this word very frequently, um, etiological. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, anyone who's engaged in literature, like you use that word a lot, but let's say you're like an accountant, it might not come up that often. So (laughs) it's worth our time to talk through and unpack a little bit, but an etiological tale is, um, is a story that that talks about how something came to be. And so we have a lot of these particularly ancient, beautiful, etiological tales. And, you know, sometimes we learn about them in school. We'll we'll listen to Native American creation mythology, and we forget that we have our own creation mythology in, in Christianity and Judaism and, you know, almost every tradition has these kind of etiological tales. And so it's... I think helpful to, again, not put ours um, on a pedestal as if this is fact and it is, therefore, it is somehow better. But, hey, this is how our community over time has understood ourselves. And there's something it can speak to us today. And that does not take away, understanding it as myth does not take away um, from. No, it makes it, it makes it deeper. Um, Yeah. Yeah, you talked about cosmology as the beginning, of, beginning of all things. You know, we have the beginning of the cosmos, beginning of, of mm-hmm. the world, creation myth. Um, also, we talk about etymology, um, how yeah. words came to be, words and names came to be. So we've got in in this story, we've got the explanation of uh, the shift from Abram to Abraham mm-hmm. and, and Sarah to Sarai, or excuse me, Sarai to Sarah, uh, and the the meaning of, of Isaac as laughter, yeah. uh, you know, so th- those things are all important to us because they help us to go deeper and find more enrichment in the text than just the mere facts of names that we can't pronounce. <laughs> Which, yeah, that, <laughs> that comes up frequently too. Yeah. But yeah, I wanted to at least address that word that I keep using. Um, cause it's kind of hard to hear cause there's so many other words that sound like it, but also it's specific uh, to a type of study. What else? What else you got around your notes there? <laughs> um, you talk about um, the, the kind of two wrap-up points uh, around hospitality. Um, um, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I won't need to a- add a lot, except that I thought ho- hospitality, being who we are and not what we do, was critically important for us to hear as as people of faith and as mm-hmm. as a church, mm-hmm. because we tend to go to the things we can do, and we also tend to beat ourselves up when we can't do everything, and so yeah. we do nothing. Yes. Yeah. Um, so setting setting boundaries, uh, and and the book that you that you noted, uh, I definitely want to uh, read. I forget the name of it now. Yeah, the book's called Platonic. Platonic, and it talks about r- really community building. Um, and how do we how do we maintain and actually have friendships that that thrive in a broader support network? And it seems like that's what a lot of church should be. Um, so figuring out what hospitality looks like, a lot of it we do pretty innately. 
Um, we have groups, you know, that, that do that here, I think, really, really well. And um, we have some deconstruction to do around. I mean, we have a whole industry around hospitality, like, that makes yeah. it someone's yeah, that, particular that was, that job. Was, that, was, that was my note. We have the whole hospitality industry, which is a, yeah. it's an interesting shift in culture. This is something that yeah. we pay people to do on our behalf. Yeah, and, you know, great. I, I love those experiences, <laughs> and I appreciate being catered to, but we also... As, um, as people of faith, I don't know that we can really farm it out all the time. <laughs> we have to figure out ways to um, incorporate hospitality into, into who we are. Because uh, it's a way that we care for one another meaningfully. The other piece that you uh, talked about toward the end is, is what can we dream of with God? What can we dream up mm. with God? Mm-hmm. Um, and you talked about what what gift uh, can we can we bring? And and I thought about uh, how much we should have used the song. Uh, what gift can I bring? What present? What token? Mm. And that this this sense that um, I don't have to bring it all. Yeah. There's something I can bring even if I can't or won't bring it all at this moment. Mm-hmm. That's really an important place, and and for a faith community to understand that we've all got little gifts to bring, and together it's a whole lot. Yes. Yeah, we do. We do a lot of all or nothing thinking just generally um, as a collective and individually. And so I think anything we can do, (coughs) I think anything we can do to help us push past that will ultimately benefit um, our community and, and figuring out how we live together. And I, I think this story speaks a lot to that. As we mentioned, it's very easy to get hung up on kind of like, oh, you know, like this is, <laughs> this is rough if you've ever um, experienced infertility. This is, you know, I kind of joked about how Abraham's like, hey, you want to come over? That's great. All right. My wife's going to just real quick bake up some bread for you. <laughs> and I'm going to tell her how to do it. Yeah, it's not like yeah. she's been trained to this her whole yeah. life. And, and what I love is that Abraham does does the dry goods, but oh yeah, probably we need some water or milk in there. Otherwise, yeah. it's not going anywhere. But you know, apparently Sarah knew that. Yeah, so I don't know. There's just there's some things that we have to deal with, and ultimately, I I can appreciate that that um, everything I wanted to do in that sermon was probably too much. So if you feel like it was a water hose, uh, dear listener, I'm sorry. There was just a lot. There was a lot going on. And uh, sometimes um, I have a hard time kind of reining it in, but, uh, you know, a smorgasbord of you ideas. You brought it in with humor <laughs> on the Sunday after you were ordained, wearing a brand new stole for the first mm. time. And, uh, mm. yeah. And, and, and your face was on a cake. So, yeah, well, that's really, always, what more can you do? That's a, that's a banner day right there. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to do these series because these are... Uh, these are particularly texts that don't get preached on very often, and um, yeah, I'm I'm just excited. This is important work to do in community. I will say the one thing that I had more people come up and talk to me about was I I physically took us on a detour with my body and my <laughs> words <laughs> um, to talk about how we have this you know whole tradition of changing names that match identities. Um, I had more people come up and talk to me about how they never considered that, they never thought about that, and how that was uh, important for them to hear. And so I'm in, I'm indebted to folks that have um, that have already kind of done that work and laid that out because it feels, I think for us that feels 
like, yeah, yep, we're, we've grappled with that. We know that and we feel really comfortable with that. But I have to remember that's a new idea for some people and it's worth communicating when it comes up, um, if not being its own, you know, its own message in and of itself. Well, and I know that, that you and I, um, me more so, because I've just been doing it for a long time, this conversation I always have with, with couples that are being married and their decisions about about changing names, mm-hmm. giving up their names, all the mm-hmm. language that goes with that. Um, but th- those are really important decisions about you know how, how firmly they understand their identity to be tied to the name and what's the change that's coming. And, yeah. Yeah. Rich, rich texts, smorgasbord of messages, and uh, next week, you're going to pick up where we left off with some of the Sarah, Hagar, Isaac, Ishmael, Abraham drama. Yeah, we'll be doing chapter 21. The drama really begins in chapter 16, so if you want to check that out ahead of time, you can be on top of it. (laughs) uh, But yeah, this is one of my favorite texts that I spent an awful lot of time with in uh, college as as I was learning Hebrew on the side from uh, my instructor at Albion. So, um, yeah, stay tuned. I am excited to hear it and to be back with you all next week.